Steve Pruitt, and again, I have the privilege of being able to share God's Word with you this morning. Um, it will be helpful to you if you have a Bible with you to uh, be ready to follow along. We're not parking on one particular passage, but probably going to be going from uh, passage, one passage to another. If you have the Bible app on your smart device, you can find us by... Uh, clicking through the menus there, and it will come up in your GPS. There are also Bibles uh, in the little racks uh, behind the seats that if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to use that. That will be helpful. Today we are in week six of our series on prayer. And uh, as we begin, how about if we start by just standing as we often do, and I'm going to read a verse that shows just how central our communication with God should be in our lives. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You may be seated. This verse encourages us to pray in every circumstance. That means there isn't a time in your life even where you can't actually pray, where you pray, where you where you don't have permission to pray. You and I have an open invitation to pray, to converse with our God about anything and everything with no limits, no off topics. That's amazing stuff if you think of who God is and who we are. But down through the ages, people have wondered over and over again, how do you actually talk to an almighty, all-knowing, invisible God when you aren't like him in any of those ways? It's definitely, you know, talking cross-culturally uh, and even to another being. And so uh, where do you start? What do you say? New believers usually learn how to pray from other believers. We figure, yeah, they're godly and they've got a better connection than I do. They're seasoned believers. So God must really listen to them, and that must really be the way to pray in order for him to listen. So if I pray like they do, then maybe, just maybe, he'll listen to me. Uh, this is true for sophisticated, cultured people, and also for primitive people. As missionaries, we worked with one of the most primitive tribes you'll ever see on, uh, in the jungle on the island of Palawan in the Philippines. And it took several years for us just to get to the point where we could communicate with them, where we could understand the way they thought and how we needed to phrase things. And they had their own unique language that we needed to learn, and there wasn't a course for us to take. And so we needed to learn how to communicate with them. After about five and a half years on the field, because they were nomadic and they kept moving, every time we would move, they'd move away, and we didn't get the hint. We kept chasing them around the jungle, but um, <clears throat> finally, after about five and a half years in the Philippines, I got to the point where I could 
teach and got the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Their response was amazing. I, I, I was almost in disbelief that they just wholeheartedly put their trust in Jesus. So many of them did. And for the first time ever then, ever, ever, there was a group of Batak believers deep in the heart of the Philippine jungle. It was pretty, pretty cool. But as our, it, we met together, our first meeting together as believers, we were all sitting on the floor in my study hut, and I might have taught them a little bit first, and then I suggested that we pray together. <clears throat> That's what believers do when they gather, so I suggested we pray together. And at first, nobody seemed to even have a clue how to pray. How do you even go about that? They were just looking at each other and uh, at me, totally clueless. And after a bit, Picto, one of our first believers, spoke up and he said, well, when I pray, I, 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 I bow my head and I close my eyes and I pray because that's what I saw Mr. do when he prayed for my child when he was sick. And so we kind of settled that as a group. You know, it's okay to pray with your head bowed and your eyes closed. We kind of got that down. And then I asked the group, well, who wants to pray? And kind of like they do in our small groups, <laughs> like, not me. You know, I don't, I don't know how to do that, you know. Um, and so after a while, somebody suggested that I pray. So I thought, well, okay, that's a start. So I started praying. And I would say a phrase like, you know, um, Father in heaven or something like that. And then they repeated what I said. And so I started saying these sentences and they would repeat. And it was like a, they were doing it in a round, a, a repeat. And um, it was really funny because when I would make a mistake in the language, you would just hear this rumble <clears throat> as as everybody just kind of tried to correct what the, or say what they thought I meant to say. And just a little bit humbling as, you know, you're teaching them how to pray and you don't get it. But <clears throat> after I thought about it, their repetition after me was probably a carryover to when they would be doing their contact with the spirits through the witch doctor. He would chant a phrase, and then they would echo. It's that minor key, ah, you know, and then they would do the same thing, but they would be saying stuff. And so they just kind of carried over the way that they prayed to the spirits to praying to God, repeating after me. And so I was okay with that. There's nothing saying you can't do that, that somebody can't lead out and everybody repeat it. Sometimes, you know, we, we do that. Um. I also I heard of one missionary. This is even stranger to show how people uh, learn from others how to pray. One missionary who visited a tribal village and he, uh, where there were believers, uh, he got to the village via river and canoe, and he would park his canoe, and he would stand there by his canoe, and he'd uh, start to pray. And so... Later, somebody came and wanted to pray with them, and he noticed that when they 
prayed, they all lifted one leg like flamingos, and they prayed. And actually where they got that, they said, is that's what they saw the missionary do. Every time he would land his canoe, he'd put one foot up on the canoe, and he would pray. And so they thought you're supposed to pray with lifted leg instead of lifted arms. And uh, people everywhere have at least some difficulty figuring out how to pray to a supreme being. Have any of you had any issues with that, especially praying in public? Yeah. Um, And for better or worse, they tend to default to whatever they've heard others do. Um, That's pretty natural, but it's not always right. Some people will adjust their language as they pray because they've heard people who were praying so eloquently and flowery and uh, they figure that God probably wants us to step up our vocab as we're going to talk to him or he's going to correct our grammar or give us better words or or something. I don't know what he's going to do. People come up with all sorts of ways even just to address God our most gracious heavenly Father who dwelleth in the highest heaven above all earthly and heavenly beings, oh, hearken unto the voice that you hear coming out of me. You know, that we do all of this stuff, we think that we need to have a format like that and and change our dialect even sometimes in order to communicate with God. And I think God yawns when we do that. In contrast to that, stepping up our language, Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, and when he did, he addressed God as Abba, Father. That's the equivalent to the first words out of a child's mouth, Daddy. You might say, well, Jesus could call him Abba because he really was God's son, but what about me? Am I going to do that? Am I going to call him Dad? Uh, I, you know, he's so worthy and I'm so not. Um, can I do that? Well, the Apostle Paul addressed that. He talks about us using the same term, that same simple way as we talk to God. In Galatians 4, 6, he says, Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your heart, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. In Romans 8.15, he also says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. When we hear a Christian pray eloquently, it might make us want to step up our vocabulary, but the Bible says that the Spirit of God in us brings us to simplicity to where we don't have all of these flowery addresses that we do but we say Abba Father and I think God is just saying come on guys just talk to me wouldn't it be weird if you know I I saw some of you talking to each other and you're just you know having a good old time and you're using, you know, all kinds of slang and different things like that. And, but as soon as I come into your presence, all of a sudden, you totally clean up your act and you start using a different dialect. How do you think that would make me feel? And I wonder sometimes if we're doing that to God and we're just, he's just feeling like, hey, 
be yourself in front of me. I already know you better than you know yourself. You don't need to step it up with me. Now, some of us don't know what to pray for. Um, I mean, that's all, especially when you're in some of those complicated situations. You just don't know what to do, where to start. This is why some people have come up with written prayers, and there are whole books of prayers that you can pray. And there's nothing wrong with that. Some of them are so beautiful because there's so much truth in them, and, and that especially some of the prayers of the Puritans, if you ever get a hold of some of those, are pretty amazing. But there are all kinds of prayers out there. One of the prayers uh, that's more popular, written in the 1930s, has come to be called the Serenity Prayer. How many of you have heard of the Serenity Prayer? Right. Uh, it says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Not bad, really. For those of us who are getting older, though, there's now, instead of the serenity prayer, the senility prayer. Lord, grant me the senility to forget the people I never liked anyway, the good fortune to run into the ones I do, and the eyesight to tell the difference. Not recommending it, just saying it, it's out there. Well, today we're going to take a look at a method of prayer that became popular several years ago called the ACTS method, A-C-T-S. The ACTS of prayer is a method that is designed to guide our prayer time and kind of bring some balance to the way that we pray. I have no idea who came up with it, but it became very popular and it's still taught today. In fact, today we're going to talk about it. So ACTS is an acronym where each letter stands for a type of prayer. A is for adoration, C is confession, T is thanksgiving, and S is supplication. Starting with A, we're just going to walk through these. Starting with A, adoration. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of adoration, I think of embarrassing yourself by staring with your mouth open at somebody you have a crush on just like you know what i mean or maybe making a fool of yourself in the presence of a rock star where you just start babbling all kinds of things and I, that's what i kind of think of of adoration but here adoration as we talk about adoration in prayer we're really just talking about another word for worship the word adore actually came from the Latin word adorare, which really just meant to worship. And in early English, the word worship was actually spelled worth-ship, attributing worth to something. And it got shortened to, to worship, like the British are so uh, likely to do. But worship is displaying or declaring the worth of God through your words or through your actions. That is worship in its basic form. So adoration in prayer is to wor really worship him for who he is and what he does. Simple as that. And a practical way that we can do that, that we can worship him in our prayers, is to simply 
declare praiseworthy things about him, things that come to mind. It, it can feel a little bit awkward at first. So if you need some starter ideas to kind of prime the pump, check out some of the Psalms. They are full of that. Psalm 103, for an example, might be a good place to start. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. There is a whole list there of things that you can worship God for, that you can praise him for. When you read a psalm like this, though, what you can do to kind of get started with that is change the you and the your, like um, who forgives all your iniquity, change that to my. Change it to the first person as all the way through as, it, as you see things. Change you to uh, me or my. Or if you're in a group, change it to us, we, or our. You can do that, just going down through the Psalms. And it gets you uh, to a place where you you can think about things that you can praise God for. And after a while, the training wheels of the Psalm might get peeled off, and you might find it more natural just to pray worship prayers. This one here would end up sounding like, you forgive all my iniquity. You heal my diseases and keep me going. You rescue me when I'm caught in a pit. You give me your steadfast love every single day. You satisfy me with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles, like my life is sustained because of you. And you can do that and then put it in your own words. That is pure worship, adoration. There are lots of other psalms that you can use, uh, Psalm 100, Psalm 145, many others can be used like that. And I'd encourage you just to try it out. You're going to see that the psalms are very real, no nonsense, very simple, very honest, sometimes even a little bit um, too honest, it seems, as the, the psalmist is asking for things from God that you wouldn't dare ask for. But they can serve, the Psalms can serve as training wheels that help you get into that uh, realm of worship in your prayers. So, um, sometimes though, when, when I remember I'm, I'm talking to God and I, I remember who He is, it reminds me of who I am. And that's not always very comfortable. I'm reminded of ways that I fall short. If I say, Lord, you are so loving and kind, you know, it, sometimes something will come to my mind where I wasn't. And uh, sometimes, uh, you know, a, a recent sin will come to mind. And that's where the next part of this ACTS acronym comes in, confession, the C, confession. And, you know, there's a good bit of misunderstanding out there about confession. Um, so let's talk, first of all, about what confession is not. First of all, confession is not the time to pass blame or even to try to share it. 
like what Eve did when she ate the fruit. The serpent deceived me and I ate. That was passing or sharing the blame. Or when Adam sinned, he said to the Lord, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some and I ate. That's a bit like what we do sometimes. Lord, I'm sorry I let him make me do that. Lord, it's true, I was weak, but hey, he started it. Lord, he just irritates me so much, I sometimes just can't stand it anymore. You know what that's like, right? That is not confession. That's what it's not. Secondly, confession is also not the time to minimize, to rebrand, or to play down your sin. We love to do this. Lord, I was a little grumpy. Lord, I I slipped a little bit there. Lord, I told a little white lie. I fibbed just a little bit. Um, That is not a good confession. Thirdly, and I'll kind of get back to that in a bit, but confession is also not the time to promise that you'll never do it again. I think that's really dumb. Confession is not the time. In fact, sometimes I will even pray, Lord, if left to myself, this is pretty much what you'll get. So don't leave me to myself. Step in early and convict me before I go down this path because this is what you'll get if I'm on my own. I need you to help me not to do this again. So those are some wrong ways to confess sin. Passing blame for it, minimizing or rebranding it, or even promising not to do it again. That's what confession is not. Now let's talk about what confession is. The word confess means just to speak the same thing. In other words, to agree or to admit something. Romans 10.9 uses the word in a positive way where it talks about confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's not confessing sin. That's confessing, that's agreeing with God that Jesus is who God says he is, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's confessing. Confession is to agree or admit When we confess sin, we speak about our sin in the same way God would speak about it. We call it what it is, with no sugarcoating. We agree with him that it was wrong, and we admit that we committed it, regardless of the outside circumstances. You're not responsible for the person who made you do something. You're responsible for the sin that you committed. So as we confess our sins, it will include isolating and identifying the sin and calling it what it is. One of the things that I'm in the habit of doing is if I am confessing a sin, I will imagine it kind of being over here and something that is outside of me because I'm not the sin, I did the sin. And I'll put it right there where I can identify it and I can say, Lord, that was anger. 
that's akin to, you know, uh, envy and murder or whatever. I'll just I'll just say that's what that is right there, Lord. I confess it to you that I did that and I don't want it to be part of my life. Cleanse me, Lord, from that sin and help me not to do it again. I'll do that, that isolating it and not just all of a sudden letting the enemy come in and and beat you up like crazy for being such a worm. If you go to confession quickly and you identify and isolate that sin, um, that is much more healthy than just groveling in it for days and um, letting your own uh, position before your father be, be called into question. So, Confession contains an honest admission of what I've done, and I look at it as sin and not just some unfortunate boo-boo that kind of happened to me or I just accidentally did. You know, your kids, you know, when they get caught, oh, it was an accident because they know you don't punish for accidents. You don't do that. If I'm doing it properly, I'm making no excuses. I'm making no promises, and then I'm claiming the mercy and grace of God because of what Jesus has done for me in paying for that sin. I'm saying, cleanse me from that sin, Lord, not because I deserve it, but because you are so good and gracious and merciful and because Jesus has paid for it with his life. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. So it's important then that you know, when you confess, uh, that we talk about the results of confession. Confession doesn't often instantly make you feel forgiven. Um, you may not always feel forgiven, even though you've confessed properly. But the promise is there that we are forgiven. God has released that Sin. This is where 1 John 1 9 might come in. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful. That means you can trust him. He is just. That means he will always do the right thing. So you can trust him when you confess, confess to always do the right thing and forgive you and cleanse you. It's a promise. And that again is that fatherly forgiveness that restores the relationship and not uh, eternal forgiveness like we talked about last week. We aren't forgiven. You want to remember this. We aren't forgiven because we're all of a sudden worthy. We are forgiven because he is faithful. He's trustworthy. He is just. He does the right thing. And he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, even, even from that rotten thing that you just did it's about him and his actions and not about you and yours or your feelings by the way though you may still have consequences to pay you can be fully forgiven and cleansed and still have consequences to pay but the transaction of fatherly forgiveness is immediate when we confess that communication channel and the relationship is completely restored and it's always 
to re good to remember that that first John one nine is talking about fatherly forgiveness and not judicial forgiveness. Judicial forgiveness, just review, it comes when we put our trust in what Jesus has done for us when He died on the cross, taking our sins with Him, taking the punishment for our sins. That's eternal forgiveness and salvation. Fatherly forgiveness comes when we confess our sins to him. It's a forgiveness that just gets sin out of the way, restores the relationship, and restores the communication. That's the confession that we do. The next part of the Acts method that I want to talk about is Thanksgiving, the T. And you know what that is. But you know what? There's a right and a wrong way to give thanks, too. Don't do it like the Pharisee in Luke 18 who said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. That had the word thanks in it, but it was a brag session. Thank you that I'm able to be so holy now. It is really amazing and it feels so good. Just wait. You're setting yourself up for a big fall there. That is not the way to give thanks. Instead, our thanks should focus on God's grace and his goodness and his holiness and definitely not on our own. If you need some ideas as to how to give thanks as you're talking to God, you can look again to the Psalms like Psalm 100 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Four things right there that you can be thankful for immediately. He is good, his love is steadfast, his love endures forever, it just never runs out, and he's always faithful. It says to all generations, that means even yours he can always be trusted. You can always thank God for who he is and what he does. You can always do that for his grace and his mercy and his love, for his forgiveness at the cross, for his friendship and his protection, and that he's coming again to get you and pull you out of this fallen world. There is never a moment in our lives where there's nothing to be thankful for. Never. No matter how bad your day, your week, or your life has been, you can always find something. Not saying that it's easy, but you can always find something. If nothing else, you can say, Lord, I thank you that this day, that every day is not as bad as this day. There's always something. Okay, next we come to the S in the Acts prayer model, supplication. Supplication is just an old fancy word for a request or a petition. Um... I don't go to my wife and say, you know, I need to supplicate you. She might slap me. Um, 
We don't use that term, but that's what it means. It just means to ask. It's asking for things like help or healing, for asking for blessing or supply or strength. Paul encourages us to make supplication for all the saints, which means to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, just to pray for them. We can pray for guidance for ourselves and for them, wisdom, healing, provision, so much more that we can do. But the, uh, like the other types of prayer, though, there's a way to supplicate and a way not to, a way to ask and a way not to ask. And the first I want to talk about is how not to ask. First on the list is don't demand. Some people will teach you that true faith in prayer is to claim something before God and in a way demand it because he's promised to answer prayer if you just pray it hard enough and in faith. But God is not your genie. He's your Lord. It's completely opposite. You are having an audience with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and he won't be bossed around. Second, don't ask as if you deserve it. Lord, I fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and it's about time you produced that is not the right way to ask. Third, don't ask as if the asking has some kind of power. Some people say there is power in prayer, that prayer is powerful. Like as if it gives you some leverage with God, like it's a pry bar or something. But the power is not in the prayer. The power is in the one who has the ability to answer the prayer. And I think a true prayer of faith is always keeping that in mind, that it is God's decision to do or not do what I ask. Don't ask then as if you, the asking itself has some kind of power that God has to respond to. That is not the way to pray. Fourth, don't ask for the wrong thing. Lord, please don't let me get caught cheating on my taxes. Lord, please send someone to kill that guy who just cut me off. Or at least make him crash. No, that's not how not to ask. Don't ask for the wrong thing. Um, another thing that I would add to that is don't ask with wrong motives. James talks about you have not because you ask not, and sometimes you don't have you ask and you don't have because you want to consume it upon your lusts. So asking with the wrong motive is not a good idea either. That's not on the list, but um, that's how not to ask as well. Now, how to ask. Um, if you don't know what to ask for, if nothing comes to mind, hey, that's okay. Don't ask for anything. Spend a little bit more time in thanks for what you have. But if you do ask, always root your request in the knowledge of God and his ways. Don't ask him to do anything that's against his nature or to do anything wrong or even to bless anything that you want to do wrong. Don't ask him to do any of that. Even 
asking him to bless you when you want to do something wrong. That is not going to happen. He's not going to answer that positively. Ask for, don't ask for things. I mean, sorry, do ask for things that are in harmony with who he is and in harmony with his purposes. Another thing that is important is to always leave it in God's hand. I mentioned this just a few minutes ago. Always leave it in God's hands as as if the decision is actually his and not yours. He sees the big picture. You see a little micro picture. Always recognize that he knows what's best. Just like Jesus, we can pray, nevertheless, Lord, this is my request, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That to me is a prayer of faith. It's faith in God's character and his ability to make the right decision and uh, full trust in that. You might say something like, Lord, this is the outcome that I would like. I know that you have the power to do it in a single breath, Lord. I know you could make it happen. But I also know that you know all things and you see the big picture and I don't. So if you choose another answer, Lord, help me just to rejoice so that I don't and help me so that I don't miss the lesson that you might be trying to teach me by not granting me this request. That, I think, is a healthy way to communicate, a healthy way to ask. So before we leave the subject, which we need to, um, I think I should probably give you some cautions about the ACTS method of prayer. First of all, it's not a formula for power in prayer. Um, When I tried this method early on with my prayer list, I kept at it for quite a while. It was really great to get me going, but after a time, it became formulaic. It seemed like I was just kind of going through the motions and I felt like I had to try and soften God up with adoration and confession and thanksgiving before I asked him for anything. And I found myself just kind of going through that. But imagine what it would be like if every time I talked to you, I went through the same sequence like that. You know, you are such a good person. And uh, I confess that, you know, I don't always treat you the way that I should. Uh, I'm thankful for you. Can you loan me 20 bucks? Um, it wouldn't take long for you to just want to take a step back. And fortunately, God doesn't necessarily do that. But um, so I think it's good to actually let the Acts method serve As a list of options, sure, start with it if you're new to prayer. Start with it, but let it serve as a list of options. If you can't think of something to pray, this is a good place to start. Just pick one and do it. The reality is that there are some times when you just need to focus on one type of prayer. You might need to send out a quick 911 request without any buildup because you need help immediately. You might just need to shoot out a quick thank you or a praise and just leave it there. Or you might need to confess something. Don't give me all that adoration stuff. <laughs> you know, um, 
we got something between us. Let's take care of that. Sometimes the, the Lord will um, convict us in that way, and we just need to do that. God um, doesn't necessarily want us to always package our prayers in the same formula. Your prayers are not always going to come in neat little packages, but that is perfectly okay because God is more interested in your heart and in the relationship with you and with honest conversation with you than he is with your ability to stack prayer in the right order or your prowess in prayer. He wants your prayer to develop into an ongoing conversation that can pop up at any time during the day. When it talks about praying unceasingly, I think it's not talking about shut out everything in the whole world and just pray the whole time. I had a friend who used to do that and it was pretty annoying because I'd be talking to him and all of a sudden he'd drop and he would just be mumbling and he was praying and it was like, no, this isn't the time. I'm here. <laughs> it's not praying all the time, but it's at any moment. Be ready. Be Have that communication channel open and whatever you need to say, say it. He wants our prayer to develop into an ongoing conversation because he loves us and he delights in hearing from us. If we keep that in mind, our prayers will start to come much more naturally and they'll also be more enjoyable for us. And I have a hint that they're probably going to be more enjoyable to our Heavenly Father as well. So before I go, though, I want to just say a, a word about public prayer. Praying in public is a fear that most Christians have. And in some ways, it's a healthy fear. Um, but if you are hesitant to pray in public, like when you're in your small group, your gospel, gospel community, um, if you're hesitant to pray in that group, welcome to the club. Almost everybody starts out that way and if um, you are hesitant to even start start with just a short simple one sentence prayer and don't worry about what others think about it hey you're not talking to them anyway so just do it and you don't even have to do a long flowery in the name of our long loving eternal savior jesus christ you don't have to end it that way in a group prayer, you don't even have to end with amen. After about 3.2 seconds, people get the hint that you're done and somebody else will start to pray, right? It's okay. But keep it simple. And um, if you're a leader of a small group and you know you have people who are hesitant, how about just freeing them up and telling them, you know what, you can pray or not. Or if we do, let's. We're, the whole group is just going to pray in short sentences. We're just going to say one thing and pass it on to the other and just get people in the uh, just to be a little bit more relaxed in their prayers. I think that would be helpful. Or sometime you might want to lead your small group through the acts model where you call out the and you just say, you know, we're just going to have prayers of adoration right now. And we're just going to cut it right there. We're not going to ask for anything. See how that works out. Some people just can't quite just do that but you just try that or prayers of confession thanksgiving you know uh, supplication you can just do that but just uh, if you work at it as a group people become 
more comfortable over time as long as you're not pressuring them and just freeing them up to just talk with their Heavenly Father. Okay, I'm going to leave it there for today. Hopefully you found it helpful and uh, God will use it to develop your own conversations with him. It might be helpful if you remember always 1 Peter 3.12 that says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ear is open to their prayers. That's God's stance with you, leaning forward and waiting for you to just talk to him. Well, Mark is going to come up, and he's going to lead us in adoration in worship, and uh, we're also going to share communion together. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Uh, As we share communion together, we remember that Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood was shed to pay the penalty of our sins. Um, It's only because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that we have any opening at all to communicate with our Heavenly Father. So um, praying during the communion time is an opportunity actually to try out at least three of the different elements of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving. I don't think it's a time to ask for stuff, but um, how about today you start your communion time just thinking about that, thinking of something praiseworthy about God. Maybe if if something then comes to mind, a shortcoming, uh, a sin that you need to call out, um, definitely do that. And then just give thanks for the cleansing that that happens. At its heart, communion is a time of worship and thanks for his amazing grace and wonderful mercy that he's exercised toward us. He took upon himself what we deserved so that we could get what he deserves, eternal life. There are offering boxes at the doors. If you've come prepared to give, that's the way that we do it. We don't uh, take an offering, but actually uh, depend on those who the Lord prompts to do that. Um, If you need prayer, we have a room across the little breezeway there where someone is uh, usually waiting and, and ready to pray with you. If you have specific needs in prayer, they'd be delighted to share that time with you. Let's pray together before we get back into worship. Father, we're so thankful that you've sent your son to buy our pardon and restore our relationship to you. You've done it all, Lord. You've paid our debt. You've cleansed us. You've given us a solid hope for the future. You've taken up residence in us, and I don't get how you can do that, knowing who I am, but I'm so thankful for it. And you've given us also a new nature that wants to communicate with you, wants to serve you, wants to honor you. You've also opened the way into your presence. You've torn down the veil that separated us so that now we're invited just to talk to you, just to pray. And so, Lord, teach us to pray in a way that honors you as Father and as Lord and in a way that also pleases you. For all these things, we thank you. 
In the name of our Savior, amen.